You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. We are in week four of Hard for His House. Hopefully you're not tired of it. If you were, you wouldn't be in the house. So I'm glad you're here today. And we are in part four. Last week, we talked about making His church exceedingly magnificent. We're focusing on this one scripture, 1 Chronicles 22, verse 5. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparation before his death. And we're using this scripture And we're trying to encourage each and every one of us that in order for the house, the church, to grow, not just talking about this church, but the church in general, is not dependent upon how many nice lights we have, how many fog machines we have, how many musicians we have, how comfy the chairs are, how good the coffee is. No, no, no. How the church grows, how the church house grows, starts with you and starts with me in the preparation that we make, in the decisions that we make to come to the house of God. The next generation is not going to want to come to church if they see you talking bad about the church, not going to church, talking about this and that, and gossiping about the church. It's not going to steward or encourage the next generation to come. But because King Solomon saw the heart for the house that his dad had, it inspired him to continue building the house of God in the next generation. And therefore, this scripture shows us that we must, just like King David, now in this moment, make abundant preparation. I must make a preparation in my own heart, in my own family. I must steward my wife, my spouse, and my kids to have a heart for the house so that they want to come. For the last couple of weeks, as I'm sitting at the table and I've got worship music playing and I'm reading over my notes before I come to church... Maddie's already up here leading worship and uh, playing with the team and getting the church ready. And Eliza comes running up to me at least the last two weeks. And she says, Daddy, I want to go to church. And I said, I know. I said, let me finish studying. Let me finish doing what I'm doing. And, uh, and Noah's getting dressed. And then we'll go to church. And she started doing this thing um, where it's really cute and it's really manipulative, manipulative where she puts her hands together, she puts it up against her cheek, and she says, Daddy, please, please, can we go to church? And I said, baby, I'll give you whatever you want right now. She wants Noah to take a bath with her and play with some ice cream toys that she got. And she goes, runs to Noah, and she says, Noah, please, please, will you take a bath with me? And Noah says, no, I'm playing a video game. I don't want to do it. And I said, you have no soul, son. How can you say no? If it wasn't creepy, I'd get in the bath with you, babe. But we must make abundant preparation now because my daughter at two years old knows that we go to church and we're excited to go to church and we're going to have fun at church. She wants to go to church. And how do we do that? is like what David did. We have to make the church exceedingly magnificent. We talked about that last week. Today we're going to talk about making the church famous, and next week we'll talk about making it glorious. The word famous there in the Hebrew means fame. It means to be named. It means to have great renown, a great report. 
means to have a reputation. The American church doesn't have a great reputation. If the American church is in the news, more than likely it's because some mega pastor has fallen in some capacity. We don't see the news media zooming in on churches and talking and highlighting about the good that they're doing. Usually, they're trying to make the church famous by denigrating whatever the pastor or the leadership has done or not done. So the question is, how do we help make the house of the Lord become famous? How do we help it stay famous? And how do we help it continue to be famous going forward? I believe and I see in the scriptures that each one of us should start practicing either one of these two things that we're going to talk about today. One, waiting on Him, and two, going to Him. And it's important that we understand That in different seasons of our life, we either need to be waiting on Him or going to Him, or sometimes you do it both at the same time. I'm waiting on Him, but I'm also going to Him as well. And I believe that as we practice that in our own lives, then we can also practice that in the church house as well. And the more that we practice waiting on Him and going to Him in our own lives, then we can practice that in the church house. And when we practice that in the church house, I believe that His name will be made famous. The church house will be renowned. Well, when I go to that church, when I go to Press Church, they wait on Him. And when they wait on Him, His Spirit moves. I feel peace, I feel His presence, I feel His love more than I feel anywhere else. I talk with people at Press Church, and they tell me about what God is doing in their life outside the church, and also what's happening inside the church. And then sometimes when we're in church, we go to Him. We have worship going, and we just abandon ourselves, and we worship Him. We go to Him, and we tell Him what we need. Wait on Him. Have you ever gone to a concert, a show, a sporting event, or you know that you're going to go to one, and you finally get the tickets? You buy the tickets online, whether it's to go to a game, whether you go to a concert. Do you remember the excitement, the expectation of what was going to happen at that show, that was going to happen at that concert? Do you remember the day of the concert when you're driving there? or the sporting event, when you're walking into the arena, the electricity, the buzz that's going on there? Do you remember when the game started? Do you remember when the concert started and your favorite musician came walking out on stage and they played their favorite song? When your team won, do you remember the the joy, the excitement of it all? When I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to really listen to any music uh, outside of Christian music, so I only knew of Hillsong. I don't know if you've ever heard of these people. Brian Duncan went to his concert a couple times. Carmen went and saw him a couple times. Point of Grace, maybe you've heard of them. Avalon, For Him, all the great Christian bands. There's a lot of questionable faces out there. (laughs) I never heard of them. And then when I got to high school and got a little more freedom from my parents and into college, my music changed 
from more hill song to hollering. I was a little more uh, metal, a little more screamo in my life, and I started going to these concerts where when I previously went to a Carmen concert, it was a lot different than when I went to the screamo metal concerts. I remember as a kid, my favorite basketball team was the Utah Jazz. I loved Carl Malone. I loved John Stockton and those shorty shorts. I loved Jeff Hornacek. I loved Brian Russell, who got crossed over by Jordan on his last shot. Broke my heart one of the few times that I cried watching sports when the Saints won the Super Bowl, when the Utah Jazz lost again to those stinking Bulls. But my dad got us tickets to go to a Houston Rockets, which is about two hours away, Houston Rockets, Utah Jazz. It was like their last season together before they all retired. And I remember the excitement, the expectation of what was going to happen at that game. What if I saw my favorite players? I've been watching them on TV, but now I'm going to see them in real life. What if they call me down to the bench? What if they give me their shoes or, or they give me their jersey? What if they ask me to play with them? The expectation of what I had of going there as I was waiting, now knowing when you go to the NBA game, they don't let you get anywhere near anybody. But the expectation, the excitement level of being, of going and being there and experiencing that with all of these people, waiting on Him. At times in our lives, we need to stop and let God work. We wait with expectation that God is going to show up and do something good in our lives. Let's look at some scriptures that will encourage us to wait on Him. This is probably one of the most famous scriptures. You probably have it on a t-shirt or heard it in a song before. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, But those who wait on the Lord, this is what happens when you wait on the Lord. You fret, you get scared, you wonder when's He going to show up, why is He not going to show up. No, no, no. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We think when we wait on the Lord, I'm looking at my watch, I'm tapping, I'm thinking, well, I've got to do something, something's got to happen, we've got to change, we've got to do, we've got to move, because that is the way of the American life. You got to go out there, you got to do, you got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, You got to go, you got to go, you got to go. But sometimes in our lives, sometimes in the seasons in our lives, we have to learn to wait on Him. Let Him work. Let Him show up and let Him show out. Because when you wait on the Lord, something is still happening inside of you and around you. God is still moving. God is still speaking, changing the atmosphere, helping you, moving And not only is he saying, just wait on me, don't do anything, he's also helping you, renewing your strength. You're not tired, you're not weary, you're not worn down. Wings of an eagle, running, not being weary. When's the last time you ran? It's been a while since I've ran. I had to get real weary real fast. And even if I walked, I still might faint. I might might still, in this cold weather. But God says when you're waiting on Him, there's still something happening. You're still going to be encouraged. You're still going to be strengthened. In Psalms 27, 14, 
we see the scripture saying, wait on the Lord, David is writing, and while you're waiting on the Lord, be of good courage, which means don't be fearful, don't worry, don't question why God's going to do this, is God going to show up, is he a good God, is he not? No, 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 be of good courage, knowing that he's on your side, he's a victorious God, he's always won, he's never lost, you are his son, you are his daughter, and he's going to take care of his family, and he shall strengthen your heart. And we know, we've talked about it before, when it comes to homiletics, when we're studying a passage, when we're studying some scriptures and we see in, a, in the Bible, if we see it in a chapter, if we see it in a verse where there are multiple times where something gets repeated, it should capture our attention, which means pay attention to this, do this. I'm trying to get this into your head and into your heart that it's important Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And while you're waiting, he's going to be strengthening your heart. Your heart is your mind, your will, your emotions. The things, the emotions, the stress, the concern. When you're waiting on him, it says he's going to be strengthening your heart. In Luke chapter 24 Verse 49, Jesus is about to go to heaven. He's talking to his disciples. We've talked about this scripture before. And Jesus says, Behold, I send the promise of the Father, which we know is the Holy Spirit, upon you, but tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. We know he says that again in Acts chapter 1, and we see the full manifestation of the promise of the Father falling upon the disciples and the men and women that were in the room in Acts chapter 2 by receiving the power of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. But before that happens, God had told them, Jesus had told them as he was leaving the Great Commission, go into all the world and do this and do that, heal the sick, make disciples, raise the dead, anything bites you, any poison tries to get you, shake it off, get rid of it. But before that, he gave them instructions, wait on the Lord. Told them to go. But the first thing he said was wait. And when they waited on the Lord, they received the exact thing that they needed. All of a sudden, the man who denied Jesus into his face all of a sudden stands up in front of those same people who were threatening to kill them and led the greatest sermon outside of Jesus preaching where 3,000 people got saved. Doesn't mean that all of them got saved, which means there were probably more people in that crowd. I don't know if I've preached to 3,000 people in my entire time of ministry, much less preach one sermon and have 3,000 people get saved. Because they were endued with power, because they waited on the Lord, God supplied the exact thing that they needed to help them go out and fulfill the Great Commission. You might be saying today, well, I've never waited on the Lord. I don't know what waiting on the Lord looks like. I'm glad you said that today because I want to show and prove to you that we are all waiting on the Lord right now and you might not even know it. So you have experience with waiting on the Lord. John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, thank you, Father, and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. We are waiting for the rapture of the church. That is what waiting looks like. 
We are looking in the clouds. We are watching the signs. We are making sure. We talk about it with the ten virgins, making sure we have enough oil. We're doing these things in life, walking around through life. But in the back of our minds, in the back of our spirits, I'm waiting on the Lord. If I'm being honest, I'm tired of this world. I'm tired of the way this world is turning as it's getting more and more evil. Heaven looks more and more pretty, looks more and more good, more and more better. There's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no death, there's no tears, there's no politics. There's just one King of Kings and there's just one Lord of Lords and there's never going to be an election. He reigns supreme and He reigns for eternity. But without you even knowing it, you're waiting on Him. We're waiting on Him. I'm living my life. I'm moving forward, taking every day at a time, working, serving, praying, loving. But I'm waiting on Him. Waiting on Him to move. Waiting to hear that trumpet. That in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ will rise first. But then we which are alive and remain will be caught up in the clouds. Makes you want to have some rapture practice right now, huh? Amen. I'll get faint and weary. I haven't jumped in a while. If we do this in our personal life, if we wait on Him in our personal life, then we raise the expectation of God doing something in His house. The more we wait on Him and watch Him show up, then the more famous He becomes. You see how important it is for us to wait in our own personal life because then we can apply it to the house of God. I'm waiting on Him when Sunday comes. I'm not waking up Sunday morning being like, ah, it's a little cloudy. I don't think I'm going to go today. I didn't like what he preached last time, so I'm not going to go this week. No, no, no. There's an expectation of what is God going to do next Sunday. I'm waiting on him to show up Sunday. I know he can show up any day, Monday through. I'm waiting on him to show up Thursday when we come together, when the women come together, when the men come together at the men's breakfast, when we have prayer night the first Monday. I'm waiting on him on those days that something's going to happen differently than what normally happens through the week. There's an expectation that's happening inside of me. So when I walk into the church, I'm looking around, I'm worshiping, God, what are you about to do? I've waited for you all week, and I'm so excited to come with your group of people, with your church body, with your family, and worship you and see what you're about to do, because I want to make your name renowned. I want to make your name famous throughout this area in my life, in my family's life, and throughout this community. So what does that look like here at church? In the house of God, sometimes that means waiting a little bit longer. Waiting a little bit longer during worship, singing one more song, maybe praying a little bit longer. I wrote this whole sermon for this one statement, maybe preaching a little bit longer. <laughs> Waiting a little bit longer because we want God to show up. Waiting on Him. I'd rather wait on Him and see Him show up than just fly through a sermon and service and not give any attention to him. Just to say we did it. Check it off. Made it another Sunday. I'm four for four in 2022. Yay, we did it. 
Well, did God do something? Did God speak to you? Has your life changed? Have you been blessed? What? No, no, no. I just went to church. Ate Alberto's burritos, drank some coffee, and left. No, no, no. When we come to church, we have an expectation that he's going to do something. He's going to show up. And then when we're here, we go to him. We pull on him. We pull on the anointing. When I was in Dallas, I've talked about this before, I was unemployed for 10 months. Maddie was pregnant. She quit her job because she was pregnant. I tried to keep her working. She wouldn't. Selfish. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> she had the baby. <laughs> and I was looking for a job. I quit a job because it wasn't, it wasn't a good job. And I, I believed that God was going to show up. I, I quit the job believing that the next day I was going to get a job and it didn't happen. It didn't happen the next day. It didn't happen the next week. It didn't happen the next month. It took 10 months. And I was applying. I was doing all these things. And there was a certain point where I just had to wait on him. I'm putting out applications. I'm doing what I can do. But God, you're the one that's going to have to do something here. I remember in the middle of that, I had applied and applied and applied and done all these different things, gone on some interviews, and we needed money, and we needed money in a bad way. And I got in the car, and I drove down, or I think I put in an application, to start delivering pizzas at like a Pizza Hut or a Domino's. By this time, maybe, am I in my 30s yet? I don't know. Maybe I'm in my 30s, and I pull up to this pizza place to go interview to deliver pizzas. I've got a degree, several degrees, worked many different jobs, and here I am, in my mind, humbling myself to deliver pizzas. But I've got to take care of my family, and I walk in, and I ask for the manager, and this little girl comes up to me. And I look down at her, and I said, who are you? I said, the manager. She said, I'm the manager. I said, oh, boy. And she said, well, uh, she has a notepad in her hand, and her hands are shaking. I said, what's wrong? She said, this is my first interview. And I said, oh, my God. So I went to the back of this Pizza Hut or Domino, whatever it was, and there's all these kids, these high school kids that I'm walking past. As they're looking at me, and they're making these pizzas. And I go sit down in this back room with her. And her hands are shaking. She's trying to ask the first question. What's your name? Why did you pick Domino's? And I said, hey, I'm calming her down. I said, hey, it's okay. It's all right. Let's just talk. It's not, it's not a big deal. Like, I understand. It's, I understand. But it's okay. Let's just talk. I'm calming down the girl who's interviewing me. And I get the job. I say, hey, good job on the interview. Those are good questions. <laughs> ask that to the next person. I go home. I tell Maddie, baby, your husband got a job. <laughs> and she said, uh, it was close to Christmas, and she said, what are, we, what are we doing for Christmas? And I said, uh, baby, your husband just got a job. He's going to work and provide. And she said, I want to go home. I want to go to South Carolina. And I said, all right, go then. <laughs> I guess, bye. <laughs> and she said, I want you to come with me. And I said, baby, we can't do that. Like, it's just not... It's not feasible. It's not, we can't do that. And she said, yes. She said, I believe that God wants us to go. 
And I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And she said, let's go. She said, I think it will be good for us to get away from Dallas, to get away from everything, and to just breathe, to just enjoy Christmas, to just enjoy being with my family and the baby, and then we'll worry about it after that. So the girl calls me. She says, hey, I just wanted to let you know when you needed to start. I said, honestly, I can't start. (laughs) My wife told me (laughs) that we have to go out of town. Um and I can't take the job. We went to South Carolina, and it was good. Um, and it wasn't until like June that I actually got the job that I've been working at for six years. But I learned in that period to wait on him. We had the first baby. We had Noah. The pregnancy did not work out the way that we wanted to. We had a healthy baby, had a healthy wife. At the end, that is the goal. But the way that we we're planning on this baby coming into the world, did not work out that way. So we went into the second child that we felt God was speaking to us to have with some new things that we wanted God to do. Now, if you've had a baby, you understand this, that it takes nine months for a baby to be born. So there was nine months that we had to wait on God. It's not like we found out we were pregnant and then just put it into action of what we were believing the next day, because that's not how babies are born. So we had to wait on God and wait on Him for nine months as we had doctors telling us all these things. Well, because she had an emergency C-section, she's going to have to have a C-section again. She has to have a certain, she can't gain a certain amount of weight or she's immediately going to have an emergency C-section. If she does this, emergency C-section. If she doesn't do this, emergency C-section. And I was like, that's not what we're believing. We're believing to have this baby naturally. I had nothing to do with it. She was believing, and I was standing with her. But then it was even a step further because we believed that God had told us that we were going to have a baby girl. I was in the shower, and God said, it's time to have another baby, and she needs to be born this year. And I said, wait a second. You just used a pronoun, a specific pronoun. Maddie already had the name of a baby girl on her heart. She already had seen the baby, and we were believing that we were going to have a girl. She was going to have dark curly hair, and she was going to have blue eyes, and her name was going to be Eliza Jane. So we had all these things stacked against us medically, and we had these crazy words from God on what our baby was going to look like, and we just had to wait on him for nine months. As people kept saying, well, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and then it came time for her to have that baby. She had the baby naturally, and as you can see now, the curliest of dark hair and the bluest of baby eyes that Eliza Jane is. Wait on him today to show up in your lives. Expect during that waiting period that God is going to show up and he's going to provide for you. When you prepare and wait to come to church, expect him to show up and be famous. And the last thing we have is go to him. Go to him. There's going to be seasons in your life where you just need to wait on Him, and there's going to be seasons in your life where you need to go to Him. We see that all throughout the Scriptures. In John chapter 2, we see Mary, the mother of Jesus, go to Him. They're at a wedding, they're having a party, they're having a good time, and they run out of wine. And Mary could have gone to all kind of different places. The local 7-Eleven got another box of wine and kept the party going, 
She could have done all these different things, but what she chose to do was go to him. And she went to Jesus, and she says, hey, it's time to keep the party going. They ran out of wine. And Jesus said, it's not my time. It's not my time to start these miracles. And she completely ignored her son and looked at her servant, the servants and said, whatever he tells you to do, do. Because there is a principle that Mary understood that God is only moved by faith and that he must respond. He can't respond to anything else except faith. And when Jesus saw that her faith was telling those servants, whatever he tells you to do, do, it compelled Jesus when he said, it's not my time to start miracles. Well, according to faith, it was his exact time to start doing miracles. Because when she went to him, by faith, the miracle happened. And he said, fill the pots, keep the party going. The Gentile woman got her daughter healed in Matthew chapter 15. She shows up to Jesus. She goes and looks for Jesus, and she says, Jesus, I need you to heal my daughter. And he says, I'm not but sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Ouch. I'm not sent to your people. I'm not sent to help you yet. That happens after I die on the cross. And he says, besides, healing is the children's bread. Oh, but that woman started speaking faith, which then compelled Jesus to react she said, even the dogs will nibble on the crumbs of that healing. And he turned in his tracks and says, your daughter's healed. Great is your faith. What about the Roman centurion? He shows up looking for Jesus, goes to Jesus and says, my servant is sick. Will you come heal him? And Jesus says, yes, I'll come heal him. And the, the, the Roman centurion says, no, 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 I understand authority. If you say that that servant is healed, you don't even have to step foot in the house. He'll be healed according to your word. And Jesus says, I haven't seen faith like this anywhere. It compelled him to react. Peter walks on the water in Matthew chapter 14. Something that's never been done before. Jesus is walking by. Peter says, hey, if that's you, bid me to come. Sure, come. And Peter decides to go to him and steps out on that water in complete faith, knowing that every time he stepped on water as a fisherman, he is sunk straight to the bottom. But he says, I'm going to go to him. He told me to come. Jesus told me to come. He gave me the word. Therefore, I'm going to him. And he walked on the water. What about the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5? He just got done feeding the 5,000. He gets off the boat, and there is a demoniac man who is hiding in the tombs, the only place that he can find peace, and it says he takes off running toward Jesus, and he falls at his feet. And after the conversation that they has, he casts out the demons. And the man who was naked, who was uncontrollable, who could only find peace, running amok in a graveyard, is now seated with complete clarity of mind, fully clothed and fully healed, because he decided to go to Jesus. And Jesus responded to his faith. And he asked Jesus, will you please let me come with you? Can I come and travel with you? And Jesus said, no, you need to stay here. And if you read in Mark chapter 5, it says that he went about the Decapolis pronouncing and exclaiming the great news that Jesus did. 
If you look in the Greek, the Decapolis is like five to ten different cities in that area. He becomes a traveling minister, and Jesus becomes famous because of one encounter this guy has with him. He says, I can't get enough of sharing as he traveled around telling people about the name of Jesus because he decided one time to go to Jesus. Jesus healed him and restored him. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 3 and verse 6 says, By faith we understand. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In verse 6, we've heard this scripture before, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For you and me who come to God must believe that he is and that he's also a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder. So there are times in your life where you need to wait on him and there's other times you need to go to him. And when you go to him, it says that you are rewarded when you diligently seek him. Understanding that faith is what framed the worlds. God spoke, the worlds existed. Light be, light was. Animals be, animals were. The same thing applies to you. If you want to frame your world, then you need to be speaking the word of God. If you don't like the house that you've built, then you need to tear it down and reframe it with the word of God. Of God. The pastors that were mentoring me and Maddie when we were in Bible school, we were dating at the time, and the pastor pulled me off to the side and he says, What are your intentions with Maddie? Uh, I don't know. And he says, Are you supposed to marry her? Is that your wife? I said, I don't know. I don't know, maybe. I like hanging out with her. She's pretty and she cooks for me. We, we have fun hanging out. And he says, when are you going to find out if she's your wife? I don't, I don't know. And he goes, well, if she's your wife, then you need to marry her. And I was like, oh, okay. And he goes, but if she's not your wife, then you're dating somebody else's wife and you need, and I thought, well, that stinks. That's a weird way to put it. But So I went to Maddie and I told him, I told her, I said, hey, we got to figure this out. Because the pastor told me, he says, you don't believe? He goes, do you believe that God will tell you if that's your wife or not? I said, well, I'm more worried that he's going to tell me it's not my wife, and then that's going to really stink because I really like her, and she likes me. She's the only girl that ever talked to me, so I just. (laughs) So he said, God will tell you. So I went to her. I said, hey, babe, let's, let's pray over the weekend and ask God what we're supposed to do in our relationship. Are we supposed to move forward toward marriage or are we not supposed to be together and then we'll figure out what that looks like? She said, okay. I said, well, I'm going to pray and fast real hard over the weekend to get an answer from God. Maddie being so much more spiritual and God loving her way more than me, she had a dream Friday night. God spoke to her, told her I was the best thing that ever happened to her and she needed to marry me immediately. I don't know what she said. That wasn't what it... But me, taking a little bit longer to hear from God, we were supposed to meet Sunday afternoon. Friday happened, nothing. Saturday happened, nothing. Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and we're supposed to meet up together and give our answers. And I'm getting nervous now because I'm not getting an answer. And in my mind, that answer means no. And I'm like, oh, boy. 
we got we to gotta figure this out. And I remember I had worship music playing in my apartment at the time. I had my laptop on the floor, and I was laid out prostrate on the ground. I was trying to do everything that I read in the Bible that all the prophets were doing because I had to hear from God. And Sunday afternoon, God started speaking to me. And I reach my hands out to the computer, and I start typing. And God told me that she was my wife. And God told me that Maddie was a treasure, and it was one of his treasures, and it was a treasure that he was going to give to me, that he was going to bless me with, and that I had to be a good steward, and I had to protect and take care of and love the treasure that he was giving me. I said, well, that's a lot of pressure. Let's back up. That's... So I went and picked her up, full of God and full of the answer. I said, please don't let your answer be no, because this is going to be real awkward. We both found out that God said yes, and we pursued marriage, got married, been married for 10 years now, and hopefully and prayerfully, I've taken care of and stewarded that treasure that God has given me. I haven't done the greatest of jobs, but I'll do better, babe. The yearly word that I pray for. I start praying in November and December, but I go to God say, hey, the year starts in January. I need a word from you. I need a scripture from you for the beginning of this year. In the last eight, nine years that I've done it, he's always shown up. Sometimes we've got to go to him. Can't just sit around. God, I need an answer, and I need an answer today. I'm believing in faith that you're going to provide. I'm believing in faith that you're going to show up, and we got to talk about this. we got to get some resolution. The last thing I have, and I'll shut up is we're going to show you an example of Jesus doing both of these. Jesus waiting on God and also going to God at the same time. Mark chapter 15, verse 34, it happens when he's on the cross. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthan, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the ninth hour, it's the last hour of Jesus' life. He's dying on the cross. And there's the full revelation that God is no longer with him. He is completely sin. He is complete sickness. He is your sin. He is your sickness. And God has turned away from him. For the first time in Jesus' existence, he feels a separation between him and God. And all throughout the Gospels, he has called him my father. He is my father. I'm about my father's business. And here, he screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you at? What just happened? And he decides, as he takes his last breath, that he's not going to wait on God. He's going to go to God in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last as Jesus has walked on the earth over and over and over again, you see in the Gospels where he tells his disciples and he tells people, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and in three days I'm going to rise from the dead. Over and over and over again he has said that. And now he is hanging on the cross and God is nowhere near him and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that's not the last thing he says. 
the last thing he says is the biggest faith statement that has ever, ever been uttered in history because he knows that he is about to die and God is not there, but in the back of his mind, inside of his heart, inside of his spirit, he remembers that God says, in three days I'm coming to get you. In three days I'm coming to get you. And I'm going to believe it. And as he's taking that last breath, he says, Father! Daddy, I know you're not anywhere around, but I commit my spirit into your hands. Because when I put it in your hands, that means you're going to come show up in three days. And he breathed his last. The biggest faith statement, the biggest go-to-God moment that he could. And then he had three days to wait. He didn't immediately wake up from the cross and be like, oh, thanks, God. He had three days. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll read this scripture until my last dying breath to you. For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he waited for God. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He waited on God, and he went to God, and because of that, he became famous. We don't read this often enough in verse 5, that he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12, verse 6, after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. He became famous, and he's still famous today. His name is still renowned today because he rose from the dead. He went to the Father before he went to the cross. He waited for the Father for three days, and now that same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you. And that is how we make this church house famous. That is how we make the house of God famous. Is by practicing in your own life, waiting on Him, or going to Him, or doing both at the same time. And when we come here to church, I'm going to go to Him. When the worship starts, I'm going to Him. I'm praising Him. I'm worshiping Him. When I'm in church, I'm praising and asking God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to do? I'm here in your house today. Your eyes and your heart are on me. What do you want to say? What do you want to do? How do you want to help? How can I help? I've waited for you this whole week to come to church, and now I'm here. I'm coming to you to see you move. And when we all come with that expectation, when we all come together in our personal life and in the church house, the church will blow up. Because they'll hear about you and your life and how God's ministering and moving and miracle signs and wonders are happening. And then we step foot in this building and miracle signs and wonders start happening here. It starts piquing people's interest. It starts showing up and they start experiencing. How do you make God famous in your own life and in the house of God? Wait on Him and expect Him to show up and show out. And go to Him and frame your circumstance and world by declaring the word of faith. Let's stand up as we get ready to go. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we choose today to make your name and your church famous. Father, help us in our own personal lives that when the chaos of the world comes against us, we don't choose fear. We don't choose to run away from the church. We don't choose to run away from you. We choose to either wait on you and watch you show up and show out, or we choose to go to you and declare by faith that you're going to move in this situation. You're going to answer in this situation. Father, I thank you that you're inspiring speaking to your people. You raise the level of expectation in each and every one of our lives. 
that when we get ready for church, we're expecting a move from God every time we step foot in this building. We expect to hear your voice loudly and clearly. We expect that angels move in this building. We expect miracle signs and wonders. We expect that when we sit in these seats, people are healed, people are saved, people are restored. We expect it, Father, because we have a heart for your house. And this is your house. This is where you reside. This is where you are, inside of us and inside this building. And we welcome you. And we make room for you to show up and show out, Father. Father, I thank you for the people here. I thank you for your word that you have sent to each and every one of us. I thank you that your word says that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. If anyone is sick, whether they're here or not here, we speak healing into their body. Miracles, signs, and wonders now in the name of Jesus. You sent your word, and you healed us, and you saved us from the destruction of the devil. Father, I thank you that each and every person here is blessed and highly favored. The favor of God surrounds them like a shield. They have favor with God and man. Father, I thank you that they are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Blessed in the city and blessed in the field. Father, I thank you that each and every person here has the mind of Christ. They hear your voice clearly, and they receive your wisdom and revelation in the study of your scriptures and the life that they live. They are being led down the path that you have for them. Now, Father, bless them, protect them, cause them to prosper in everything they do this week, and bring them back safely next Sunday as we expect a great move from you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next time, family. Take care. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.